Hi everyone, it's Dina McKay, and I'm back with a brand new episode of Black Tech Unplugged. The podcast allows Blacks in tech to share their authentic stories with you, the listener. On each episode, the guest talks about how they got into tech, their work in the industry, and lessons they've learned during their journey. You can find full show notes for this episode on blacktechunplugged.com. On this episode, I'm joined by Tariq King. He is the Vice President of Product Service Systems at EPOM, where he manages a portfolio that lies at the intersection of software products and services and supports the business through technology consulting. Tariq has over 15 years experience in software engineering and testing, and he's formally held several positions that we'll cover in the podcast today. Tariq also holds a PhD and master's degree in computer science from Florida International University and a BS in computer science from Florida Tech. In this episode, we talk about Tariq's journey into tech. You even learn a fun fact about him in regards to when he learned to program. We'll also talk about the different roles that he's held to date. So in his 15 years in tech, Tariq has worked of various amount of jobs, and he talks about most of them within the podcast episode. We also talk about 2023 trends in tech. So of course, we have to mention the infamous chat GBT, as well as a few other trends that we're seeing for this year. I hope you enjoy this episode. And if you do, make sure to rate and subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to the episode. So for those who aren't familiar, if you're listening on Spotify, you can leave five stars. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you could leave five stars or a written review. Like the one written by Tom Scarb, who says, I have subscribed to Dina McKay's Black Tech Unplugged since 2019, and it is one of my favorite podcasts. I always learn something new with each episode, and Dina's interviews never disappoint. I really want to highlight episode 68 from this week. Dina's advice is pertinent to people in the IT IT career path at all levels. Looking forward to your future shows and thank you. And I just want to take a moment and say actually to thank all of you who listen to the podcast. I greatly appreciate the support and make sure you share the podcast with a friend. Make sure you're subscribed. And again, I appreciate all of your support. I couldn't do this without you. And I make this podcast for the people. So thank you again. And now let's jump into the episode. Hi, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of Black Tech Unplugged. I'm joined with a very special guest, Tariq. And to start off the podcast, I usually kick off with something called the check-in. So the check-in, your name, current role, but also how many years you've had in tech. Sure. Thanks, Dina. I'm Tariq King. I'm currently VP of Product Service Systems at EPOM. In my current role, sounds like a real fancy title, but I'm really lying at the intersection of software products and services. So EPOM is a consulting company, but we also work a lot on open source initiatives. So we have a lot of open source products out there that we use to accelerate our services. So my portfolio lies in that mix of the world. I first got into technology from a a professional standpoint in 2009, when I became a professor at North Dakota State University, and then made a transition three years later into the software industry. And so I've been in industry positions ever since 2012. Originally from Barbados, but moved to the US for university. I've been here many, many years now, and I'm just excited to be here. And Tariq, I would be remiss if I didn't mention all of the things that you've done, because you're mentioning that small part about being VP, 
but you're also a recognized thought leader in software engineering, DevOps testing, and AI and machine learning. Also been in the industry for over 15 years, and you've held a lot of different positions like chief scientist, head of quality, <laughs> director of quality engineering, and manager of engineering. So you've had a long list of roles for your career and a variety. But how did you find your niche in tech? For me, actually in college, I went to Florida Tech and Florida Tech was pretty unique when it came to software testing because not many universities have a software testing focus at the undergraduate level. And we actually had two different great minds in software testing, James Whitaker and Kem Kaner. It was actually the only elective that you could take two different times with two different professors and get credit for it. So it was when I met James Whitaker and he used to start each class by coming in and showcasing where you could make Windows crash or crash one of the office applications. There's not to pick on Microsoft, but that was one of the big things that his lab was doing back then was actually working with Microsoft to help improve the quality of their products. And I was just so fascinated by just the thought process of how to dissect the software. Uh, someone tried to build it and they had that creative process, but it was a much harder problem to figure out, like, how do you make sure it actually is going to withstand that exercise in a real environment using real users, right? Could you bring it down? Could you bring down the operating system with it? And so I knew from that, that testing was where it needed to be for me. I'm also a big fan of the underdog and it felt like testing was kind of the underdog in engineering. And I'm always a big fan of rooting for the underdog in sports and in life. <laughs> so, <laughs> And you mentioned going to college for computer science, but I want to even take it back to your childhood. Where did you first get that introduction of tech as a career? So three years old, and I'll tell you how that happened. So without giving away too much about when I was born, but Computers were a relatively new thing in terms of home personal computing. And my stepdad at the time, he was a police officer, but he had bought a brand new PC, like a Commodore 128, and there were games for it. And I was kind of intrigued, obviously, as a child might be like, hey, I want to play video games. And he basically told me like, look, you can play video games, but you have to learn how to use the computer. And furthermore, you need to learn how to program the computer. Of course, I had no idea what he was talking about. But back then, you could buy these books where there were programs that were pre-written and you could basically write them out in basic <laughs> and run them on your computer. So you could write a game literally by copying text out of the book and running it. There's an interpreter back then. And so I wrote my first set of programs at three years old and kudos to him for saying, this is not just a toy. There's more behind it. And so try to get to learn how it works. As I got older and I got my own personal computer and my mom bought it for me and I was like, oh, well, I want a CD-ROM. And one, one day she came home and I had picked the whole thing down <laughs> and she walked in the room and she's like, what have you done? Have you destroyed the computer? And I was like, mommy, just like, leave me alone. I know what I'm doing, right? Yeah. And basically I'd put together my own sound card and everything and put it in and just kind of knew that tech was for me from even a very early age going through adolescence. I think you are the first person to say at three years old that you were writing code. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine at three years old, even having the wherewithal to do that. So that's amazing. Well, the power of video games. <laughs> and I try to use this with my kids now. They're very into Roblox and a lot of these mm -hmm. games. And it's a very good motivator to introduce them into the world of tech. Like, hey, you know, you like this thing so much. Do you know how it's built? Do you know how it works? And that curiosity sparked from an early age for me. 
I love it. I'm happy that you kept with that curiosity and wanting to grow your knowledge. So I do have to ask, what has been your motivator to continue on? So if you started at three, and then let's also add your industry experience. So 15 years in the industry, you're already at 18 years. How do you keep that motivation for wanting to be in tech? For me, you see that the world has gone in this direction. We didn't know exactly how everything would unfold, but I think you could tell that software was here to stay and that it was only going to get better. For me, it was looking at this constant evolution of technology and then thinking to myself, how can I stay at the forefront of it all, right? Even up to now, every year I challenge myself, I set one goal every year to say, this is the one thing that I want to be on top of because this is a trend. So one year it was microservices, another year, which took actually spanned a few years, it was AI machine learning for me. And then that has continued. So I think by just challenging yourself to actually recognize like, hey, this thing is moving fast. So how can you move with it and not stay stagnant? And that is the continued motivation. And as long as new things keep happening in tech, I continue to evolve with it. Tariq, you know, I have to ask, what is your plan for 2023? What are you focused on? Well, 2023 is all about the metaverse, which is actually kind of a continuation of some stuff that I started in 2022. So 2022 was all about video game testing because it was a very hard, underrated area. We have automation for all sorts of web apps, the mobile apps, but the automation for games was limited. And then combine that with advances in AI, machine learning, and computer vision. So I spent a lot of time in 2022 focused on gaming. And at the tail end, you started to see how that technology and those experiences are coming together for the metaverse. Of course, games are a very good example of this preliminary look at the metaverse when you start talking about AR and VR so it's kind of funny that it's full circle. You asked me, how did I start? And it was because of games. And where I am today is like, oh, it's about the metaverse, but it really stems from a lot of the advancements in gaming and, and trying to automate games using reinforcement learning and different AI and machine learning techniques. I'll come back and touch on the metaverse because I do want to ask you some more questions around that. But I do want to go back to the point in regards to you staying ahead of the curve and staying curious because it's your curiosity that's keeping you in tech because you're constantly learning the new things. But I feel like you use that curiosity to also help you with the variety of roles that you've had within tech. And I want the listeners to hear a little bit more of the different roles that you might that you've already had in tech because I want them to see that there's a lot of different roles, especially from the testing and AI and machine learning world. There's so many different areas I can say, because you have a range of knowledge and expertise, but let's just high level, walk through some of the roles that you've had. Yeah. Like you said, it's like a very full career path that you can follow. And so for me, I came into industry, individual contributor role as a principal architect. So for me at that time, it was actually pretty exciting because I knew I didn't want necessarily to have people report to me, but mm -hmm. I wanted to lead technically. I wanted to be a technical leader and help engineers with best practices or help building out frameworks. And actually started by building out test automation frameworks and porting existing automation over and helping to train and teach engineers 
on good practices for building software engineering with quality built in, but then also thinking about how do we test and how do we actually pick the software apart and apply those techniques in a more formal way, as well as bringing your creativity to the table. So it was all about that individual contributor life for me and staying hands-on and technical and keeping my coding skills in check along that path. Mm -hmm. And then I got a great opportunity to actually become a manager And the cool thing about my first management position was that I was a manager of engineering and my direct reports were mainly folks who were architects. So it was kind of a natural evolution where like I'd been an architect for three years or four years Mm -hmm. and I was very comfortable. And then I realized I'm actually very comfortable. I'm not growing in this way. And then that started to bother me that I felt I was just coasting at the same level. And then I knew it was time to take on something differently. People always say, well, oh, like you either become a manager or you're a technical person and you can't do both. I actually, similar to dispelling myths about being a professor and then moving into industry, I wanted to make sure that people knew there's a way for you to still get into people leadership and helping people to grow helping people to grow technically and as well as leaders and still keeping your technical chops together. And part of that was for me, even as a manager and helping people to grow and to learn, I was also still investing in courses and trying to help put material together to train folks. And part of that always involved hands-on component to it. It wasn't just theoretical stuff. It was building out these courses and actually delivering them. So while I was a manager, I was still training engineers on how to build and employ best practices. The whole year of the microservices was building out a full reference architecture with other engineers and carrying them along as to how to do this. And then beyond that, it started to now move into, okay, well, what can I do next with this? And, you know, I moved into a a director level position And in that position, it became a little bit more strategic. And they Mm -hmm. started asking me about the future. And I said, well, the future of testing involves AI machine learning. So now that was this dual thing where, okay, hey, I was growing as a leader. I had more direct reports. I opened up my span of control. Um, I had the performance engineering team also reporting to me. So it wasn't just straight engineers or testers. That was also performance and thinking a little bit broader. But then it was like, hey, what about doing a moonshot project on using AM machine learning for testing? And so I had a research team, right? And so my day was very dynamic as I navigated as a director and then would eventually become the head of their quality program, which was integrated with the architecture group. But then I had a life where, and again, this deals with being a leader, you have to delegate and have the right people. So I had leaders over performance. I had leaders over the day-to-day testing and the test automation frameworks. And then where I kept my leadership and hands in was with the development of the research and development products using AI machine learning. So that was the career trajectory through what was Ultimate Software, now UKG, from principal architect to manager to director, then to head of quality. And then once I started driving that research and development project, I would leave Ultimate Software and actually go to focus full-time on applying AI and machine learning to the development of software testing products. So I joined Jason Arbin at Test AI as their chief scientist. So it was moving from a very large company into a startup 
environment, which involved number one, being at that sea level and looking at the entire business and now thinking of sales and marketing. It wasn't just engineering anymore. It was a whole new world of that. Of course, there's investors, there's all sorts of other things involved, even at the startup level. But then that, again, was now another point for me to say, look, I kind of have mastered in, in quotation marks. To me, I never really fully have a grasp on a subject to that degree, but I've become proficient in certain things, but where can I challenge myself to grow? And that always is an element of something new and unknown. And for me, that was the startup world because I'd never worked for a startup before. And so chief scientists, uh, AI and machine learning, also leading their platform team. So still leading engineers that were building a platform for delivering uh, AI machine learning experiences for software testing products. And that was all great and exciting as well in terms of that chapter. And then I moved from startup environment actually into a very global company. So EPAM is in 58 plus countries now and over 60,000 employees. So nothing that I've ever seen before. Ultimate software when I left was about 5,000. <laughs> My team at Test AI was max 40 people. And yeah. now to 60,000 that are spread across the globe doing stuff at very massive level. So you're right. Like it's been a journey across many different things. And for me, I think as long as you are challenging yourself and not putting yourself in a box, which is also one of the things I like about EPAM now is I'm experiencing more growth than I probably have experienced in that entire journey right now because of this very global company that is working in engineering excellence, testing quality. I can support the data practice. You know, there's all these clients that we support that are all different shapes and sizes. At first, it was actually a bit overwhelming <laughs> to kind of <laughs> soak in the scale, but now I'm getting a little bit more accustomed to the level that it's operating at. And then services versus building product was also a different transition for me. So and you mentioned different people, different personalities, different sizes. And you mm -hmm. definitely get that when you start getting into a manager or leadership position. So I definitely have to ask you, going from individual contributor to mm -hmm. a leadership role, what type of mind shift did you have to have in order to be a successful leader? So that's a great question, Dina. The approach that I have to leadership in general is one where, number one, I think software and technology has some of these logical flow bases that we look back to. And of course, there's issues and things that might be unexplainable, but as an engineering mindset, you're trying to find this logical thing. Of course, people can still be logical. This is not saying that people aren't <laughs> logical, but there's a, a whole set of emotions that are really are the core drivers for things, right? right. And so right. for me, it is really about caring about people. And that's where the core comes in. And there's an element of problem solving involved still, but it's very different because the problems that you're trying to tackle and the source of where you're going to find your information lies all in a lot of complex dynamics and interpersonal relationships. And so I looked at it as well. How can I learn more about people's behaviors and about emotional intelligence and asking the right questions and active listening? And there's a whole body of knowledge out there. Again, similar to the engineering world, you can go and learn a lot about a programming language and about how to build systems and architecture. Well, there's an equally big, if not larger body of knowledge out there on how to learn how people interact, how they operate, how they deal with conflict. 
and so on. So navigating that line was something that I think was a challenge for me at first, because it was one of the things when I first got into an individual contributor role, I said, yeah, I don't want to deal with people's issues. Like, I don't want to deal with your PO or your family. I, I just want to build this product. But right. of course, life was never that simple anyway, even in my role without direct reports, still had to work with people, still had to collaborate, still as a human being, had to have care and compassion for my coworkers. And so I ended up kind of doing some of those things anyway. And, and I, I, because of the teacher side of me, really love to see people grow. And then I kind of took that and said, okay, this is who I am as a leader. I'm someone who's there to listen, to facilitate, to help people grow, and then to not be holding on to them in my organization, but letting them grow and letting them move on. And someone else is going to come along and you're going to continue to do that, right? right. So. For me, I started to find that part of it a hard problem to solve. And you might not know, but I'm very introverted, not super on the introverted side, but I <laughs> no. am introverted. And people are, people are like, oh, you're such a great speaker. You interact and you're so animated. And I was like, well, I work hard at that. And it's the same thing with leadership. I worked hard to start to learn from others how to become a good leader and how to really navigate that world. Yeah, I definitely never would have said you were an introvert because even when we met, we met at a conference. First off, you kicked off the conference and you were a keynote speaker. So I shouldn't say automatically, but <laughs> I felt like there was some form of extrovert in you. But then I'm also glad that you say that because a lot of times when people look at leadership, they expect everyone has to be an extrovert and they have to know everything. And it's like, no, we're all learning. And introverts are people too. And we can help lead and be successful as a leader just as much as an extrovert. Yeah, it takes some work, obviously, on the introvert's part. I'm kind of like right over that line towards introverted. So I'm not far over. But (laughs) so that's why it's hard for people to tell. Because I think when I get in front of a crowd to teach, because I have a passion for teaching, it's easy to draw people in. I like to make a lot of jokes as well, too. My daughters would tell you I have bad jokes. They're all dad jokes, but I, I'm actually liking the dad jokes. I think it's hilarious. You'll also notice even at conferences, don't tell anyone, right? Even though we're recording this. Sometimes I need to get away. And so I, I will escape back to my room and give myself a break from all of the constant interaction. Because as you know, with introverts, that can be very draining, right? So I have it in pockets and I manage it. I don't hide it. I don't tell people, but I also know like, hey, I need some time alone. So I'm just gonna dip out and then I'll be back. So yes, as introverts, we just need that little recharge session where you're mm-hmm. like, okay, let's just get quiet for a little bit, charge mm-hmm. up the battery, and then we go finish whatever we have to do. Yeah. Yeah. And Tariq, I want to touch on the VP role. You've talked about it a little bit, but I do want to go into a little bit more detail about that. So first, I want to start off with breaking down the role itself. Yeah. So once you start talking about any kind of senior leadership role, specifically even a vice president role, it is where you are not just stuck in the day-to-day of things. You have to really be strategic. You have to think longer term. You have to look at the organization and the different factors that are at play in the organization and really think about where we're going, how we're going to grow, and then how do I actually 
inspire, motivate, and get people behind the organizational goals in a way that it doesn't feel top down, right? That it doesn't feel like, hey, leadership is saying X, Y, or Z. So for me, it is really one of those roles where, yes, you have to look at the business. And of course, everyone should be interested in business. Otherwise, you don't have a job as the number one thing. So Mm -hmm. there are business factors and there are revenues, there are margins, there's all this aspect of operating a business and being profitable that are there as goals. But I always try to tell people that, yes, while you might be operating at that higher level and having those discussions, when it starts to come down to the team, you want to be able to translate those things into what are you thinking about? What are your objectives? What are your key results that you're thinking about that you want to achieve this year that you think will help the business, right? And inspiring them to organically come up with those things without it feeling like it came from leadership saying, well, you got to hit this target, you got to hit this target, right? So again, it comes with the territory that I've been in, which is navigating multiple worlds and bringing them together and figuring out how to achieve success as a business, but also putting people first and making sure that they feel valued so that they can drive towards those business objectives. I always tell people, you want to make sure that you put your employees first and that you motivate them. But you also want to remind those employees that being results-driven and actionable and getting the business to grow is actually one of the most people-first things that you can do because the business is the thing that is taking care of all of these people. It's taking care of you and your family. And so if we run out of business, all those people are impacted, right? So that's kind of the world that I navigate, that VP level is trying to be business-focused, technology-focused. Of course, I have a portfolio of products and services that I take care of on a day-to-day, but really it's about mentoring and guiding and inspiring the leaders who are over those things to drive them to success and trusting them to get it done. And Tariq, being in the C-suite is not for the weak. Like you don't see everybody (laughs) trying to do it. And in fact, I feel like lately you see a lot of people who are like, I don't actually want to do that. I kind of just want to stay that individual contributor in my career. So we'll put it this way. Not everyone aspires to be in that role. What motivated you to not only become a VP, but stay at that level? I think it started with test AI and uh, wanting to be at that level to see how the business was run. Because Mm -hmm. I'd spent all this time in engineering. And of course, sometimes if you're lucky, you get to interact with the customer or you actually get to see them using your product. But most of the time, you're shielded from a lot of the other stuff that goes on. There's a dedicated sales and marketing team and all this other stuff. But as I rose up the ranks at Ultimate Software, I got to be able to see some of the other aspects of the business. And that made me very curious about it. And then I wanted to know, because it was part of me also thinking about how can I become more entrepreneurial myself, right? And I think a lot of the times we're conditioned to think about working for someone else, but I was like, well, maybe one day I might want to work for myself. And what would that be like? And if I'm going to do that, I better learn (laughs) about how to run a business, right? And what better way to learn more about how to run a business than to actually move towards a role where you're actually being more and more involved in running the business or how the business operates and learning from experienced leaders who are and have been running a business for 25 years. One thing I learned from early was the quickest way to learn something 
find the person that knows the most about it and go spend, you want to learn SQL? Find the best SQL developer that you can find in the company and spend some time with them. You will learn it quickly. So same thing applies on the business side. And so the inspiration for me was thinking about entrepreneurship. It was also really trying to stretch myself to see like, hey, what does this thing look like holistically? And I appreciate you bringing up the point of being in that role within a already established company, especially being around successful leaders to see how things are done. I think a lot of times people are thrown into entrepreneurship, but what better way to learn than seeing an established leader lead their successful company and learn while on the job? That is the greatest thing that you can do. Yes, you're absolutely right. Something that we haven't touched on that has also been very important in being a motivational factor for me has been that throughout my career, I've never really seen people that look like me in the roles that I've been in. So even before joining academia, I'm finishing school. Mm -hmm. I, I always told myself I have to keep pushing so that I can be that for someone because I wasn't seeing many people that look like me in those roles. And as I continue to do that, and as even I continue now, of course, there's more and I've met wonderful people, even like yourself and Vernon Richards and other people in this space that are like, yes, we have representation. For me, it was kind of an inward driver to be like, hey, go and show them that you can be anything that you really choose to be. And that's kind of also why my path isn't so straight. <laughs> it is upward and onward, but it's definitely not straight in terms of discipline. But first off, no one's tech career and tech trajectory is straight. There's yeah. always a twist turn. If anyone has a straight trajectory, surprise me. I have to have them on the podcast. <laughs> but I definitely understand that. One thing that comes to mind, though, especially being in a position where you don't see a lot of people that look like us, where do you go for mentorship? Because there's some situations that only other people that look like us can give you some direction. So do you have an external support system that you turn to? What is your community like? Yeah. So you just said it exactly. My external support system has been the community. And you'll see that I've been very active in the community as a result. One of the key motivators was for me to find more like-minded people that have been in the same situations and actually sharing and talking about these issues. I've done everything from being on panels to leading panels myself in these areas. And actually, in addition to trying to learn from other inspirational leaders that have gone through similar things to myself is actually also trying to provide opportunities for others that look like a miniature version of myself. And, you know, I would have wanted someone like me and and, and being that mentor, right? So that's kind of where I find my support is through community, through mentorship and fellowship. You know, I also was talking to you a little bit about my daughters and wanting them to make sure that they grow up with having an identity and people that look like them if they want to go into tech as well, right? So right. even from that perspective, I continue to find allies and support systems in the community because there's always somewhere that I can either help or and learn from hearing people's stories and sharing uh, as we are, at the end of the day, are one people. And that's exactly why I have the podcast, because as we learn, representation matters. If I don't see someone who looks like me that might either do the role that I want eventually or doing what I want to do right now, how am I going to be motivated? Because a lot of times if I look around the room at certain positions, I don't see anyone who looks like me to say, hey, this is actually attainable. 
And Tyreek, to your point, yes, you are everywhere. So you are being one of those people where representation matters. People see you. And that's, I think, an excellent thing. I do have to ask, though, from the perspective of finding your community, where do you usually network or especially from an online perspective, where do you find people who are similar to you and have the same career aspirations? First of all, I should say thank you to you as well. You talked about even we first met at a conference. Well, we met at a conference where you were sitting on a panel that was a similar kind of, of topics and trajectory, right? But along the ways, I've seen different communities that help to support Blacks in technology, especially Blacks in technology group or BITS has been instrumental. I've also had like a number of contacts from the National Society of Black Engineers. And so they are out there and I connect with these folks. And sometimes these people actually find me (laughs) and I put it on myself because I think as I was coming up in my career, I hadn't initially in the early stages been involved with the community, probably until a lot of people don't know this. I actually first started doing public speaking in industry in 2013, 2014. So it hasn't really been that long. Before that, I was speaking at academic conferences when I published my work as a PhD student and as a professor. But in industry, it has just kind of been a relatively young journey. So in general, like I use LinkedIn to network a lot. I've joined uh, a lot of these groups who have Slack channels and there's support there. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's just important to be plugged in wherever you can. And then one thing I found is just by blogging or taking part in podcasts, you'll meet more and more like-minded people and they'll come and say, hey, I saw your podcast on this and what you said I really could relate with. And then there's organic ways to kind of grow your community, but there are also these targeted groups that are out there that you should definitely see if you can get involved with and contribute, right? Uh, Community is all about sharing. Yes. I hope community sharing and all that good stuff continues to grow in 2023. And Tariq, to end this portion of our conversation, I know that there are people who are listening and they're probably like, wow, I've never seen, especially a Black man in tech, be a VP. So for people who are listening and they aspire to be in a role like yours, what are three pieces of advice that you can give for someone who's listening? Yeah. Three pieces of advice. I would say the first one has to be hard work. Stay grounded and focused on developing yourself and performing with excellence. Recognize that you may not be the best at every single thing. I always try to tell people everyone has different gifts and you may not have as many talents in some area as someone else, but with hard work, you can actually multiply some of your talents. So no matter what it is, just be known as a person who strives for excellence. The other thing I would say, one of the biggest things that you can try to do, help other people grow. Like once you are now known as a person, and it doesn't matter who they are, especially if it's someone who actually can't do anything for you at the time. You just never know where that person is going and when they might turn around and and bless you with something else. So also be a person who's known to help others and invest in people because those people, number one, just by doing that, kind of lift yourself up with them as you go along because they are there to support you and they become fans of you. And you just never know when something is going to turn around in a way where you're like, wow, like I helped that person. And then now they're here and they're providing an opportunity for me. And then the third thing I would say was just stay humble. It can become hard as you move up through the ranks to stay grounded and focused and not to feel like, hey, like I'm I'm here and you're here. Again, that comes to do with how you treat people and finding that perspective and just knowing that we're all on an equal playing field and you can all learn from each other. And the intern that comes in, 
is just as much as valuable as the CEO who founded the company. And there's something that that intern can teach that CEO and something that that CEO can teach that intern. So don't ever let like where you're at skew your perspective as to what is important in terms of how you treat people and how you uh, interact with them. Excellent advice. I appreciate you sharing that, Tariq. And given all of your broad knowledge about technology, I had to use the last half of the podcast to talk through some of the technology trends that we're going to see for 2023 because I needed your expertise. (laughs) And to begin that conversation, you know, I got to bring up chat GBT. And so that's obviously a major player in the tech industry right now. Everyone's talking about it nonstop. And really, AI in general is making big strides within the tech community. So from your perspective, what's your prediction in regards to ChatGPT and AI for 2023? So yeah, like you said, ChatGPT has taken the world by storm here. (laughs) And it's really interesting because I think when things like that happen, people tend to believe like, wow, there's a very brand new technology that's now come on board and look at what it can do. But I think for a few years now, we've been telling people that AI and machine learning is going to take the world by storm. Mm -hmm. I think what ChatGPT has done is actually two things. It has made AI more visible to people. So when you talk about trends that are going to continue in this AI space that we're going to see, I think, let's face it, there's a lot of skeptics out there about this technology, right? What does a skeptic want to do? Well, you know, kind of like Thomas, they want to feel and touch and figure out, is this real? So they want to see the AI. They want to interact with it. They want to ask it questions. And that's exactly what ChatGPT has done here. When I think about AI machine learning and the technologies and the companies that are building these technologies becoming successful, they have to take a note from that book in that if you're going to get successful adoption, you have to show your users or potential customers what the AI looks like and how it feels and have them interact with it because they've been longing to do these things. And now for the first time, they can actually do that. And and a lot of that is, yes, visibility, but now the barrier for users to interact with these things is very low. Now, like you can think, oh, I just need to ask this thing a question and give it context. Like how much easier could it get to use anything? We do that stuff every day, even when trying to ask someone a question to get them to understand your point of view, you give them context and you pose the question and you put it out there and then you get their thoughts on it. And that's like the interaction model for it, right? And of course, ChatGPT is not perfect. So I think we're going to continue as a, I wouldn't be a good tester if I didn't say that one of the trends that we're going to see come into play is more and more focused on validation and verification of AI machine learning systems because there's still always going to be a, a general lack of trust and also a need to validate and verify that these things aren't causing harm to different groups that might already be at a disadvantage, right? So we definitely want to care about fairness and the trustworthiness of AI and all of these things is still going to be a, a thing that's there. So um, that's my take on, we could talk forever probably about this technology, <laughs> but that's my take in a summary of one of the major trends when it comes to AI machine learning. And what is maybe like one or two other tech trends that you foresee in 2023? We haven't really been talking about it as much because AI has taken the world by storm, but we're seeing a trend towards super apps. Like people want very highly configurable and composable applications, kind of like one app to rule a lot of other apps and simplify life. 
So I think from a, a technology standpoint, we're going to see more of a development push towards building these super apps. And of course, that's going to open Pandora's box on how do you test these things properly? How do you deliver them? And, and so on and so forth. So that's definitely a key trend that I see continuing to be out there. And I think, so one of the things that has become uh, kind of apparent in in this day and age is that um, because of, of COVID, because of everything that we've gone through with the pandemic, there's a need for more automation and for people to be connected even when they can't physically be in the same place. And so obviously another big trend that I would have to mention is this idea of the metaverse. Of course, there's a global push and global investment continuing to go on there, but I understand it is really driven by the need for more automation, the need for deeper connection and experiences. And so in 2023, I think you can expect to see a lot more metaverse-like experiences, a lot more improvements in technology, whether it be the headsets. I just read an article the other day about bringing smell into the world of digital experiences. And so there's actually a headset that was built that had like five or six different aromas that can be mixed together to simulate smell. So immersion is coming. (laughs) So yeah, we're going to see a lot more of the metaverse uh, in 23. Interesting. Yeah. I never thought about getting smell in the metaverse, but that's interesting. (laughs) Yeah. I do see some really interesting concepts coming in for 2023. One that is also a little hard of a topic to speak on is we have been seeing a lot of tech layoffs, especially from the beginning of the year. What is your thoughts on that? Do you think that will continue throughout 2023? You know, we've seen the impact of many different things, including geopolitical unrest and stuff that has been happening. Uh, And that has really curbed revenues for tech companies. And so their response has been these layoffs. So they're already continuing, as a matter of fact. And it's one of those things that I think we will inevitably have to go through, but things will get better. And it's a matter of weathering the storm and being supportive as people go through this economic crisis that is hitting us all, right? But these things are things that shift and bounce back. And I've seen there's actually areas where, yes, there's these mass layoffs from even a lot of the tech giants. And then I see pockets of companies hiring, right? right, In the midst of this. And it's actually a a good opportunity to, to rebalance some of these things in a way. But for us to also look towards becoming more operationally efficient and be thinking a lot more about how we scale and how we innovate. So my advice to, to folks, even though it's a difficult time, use that time to invest and build up yourself and bring a new set of skills to your portfolio in that time and be able to be a, a game changer in this aspect of how do we actually transform this industry and think a lot more about how to automate and how to scale with technology. That's where the world is going. It's going towards this automation and efficiency. So yeah, it's a hard thing, Dina, and I I know many people impacted. And the other thing I would say to people is just be there for each other, help people to get through it. There's no one that's exempt from it. It It's Mm -hmm. affecting everyone. Yes, community is where it's at. So if you can help someone, always reach out and share roles. If you are going through it yourself, just know that there's a community that's willing to help you as well. I think that was really great advice, Tariq, and also a great way to round out our conversation for today. 
I know we've covered a lot from your career to what you're doing currently. We even talked about some future tech trends, but do want to open the floor. Is there anything else that we haven't covered that you would want the listeners to know? Any tips, advice, or anything else? I would just say I'm a big fan of innovation. And I think that one of the things that a good buddy of mine had said once is that constraints tend to bring innovation. So look for opportunities, I would say, to challenge yourself, challenge your organization to see how you can do something different. If you have an entrepreneurial spirit as well, use as an opportunity to maybe kick off your own business. There's a lot of ways that you can think outside the box and do something new. You know, I had a a few meetings today with some folks that are bringing something and, you know, they just kind of shared it with me about bringing something really different to the, the table and to the market and to the tech space. And I was like, wow, that's like a really, I can't share it, but that was like a really great idea. And it was almost like, why didn't I think of that? And it made me think like, well, you know what? I bet like there's folks out there that have these ideas and that think about these crazy things. And it just kind of takes this like leap of faith or for something to be a catalyst to it. So I would, again, fitting in with everything that we've talked about from technology, from growth to even the dark side of layoffs and everything, let it all come together. Everything is for a reason. Everything is for a purpose and try to leverage it to do something different or better yourself in some way. And that is an excellent note to end on. Tariq, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for having me, Dean. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Black Tech Unplugged. I'm Dina McKay, and you can find the show on all social media platforms under Black Tech Unplugged. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to this episode. And if you have a few extra minutes, make sure to leave a five-star review too. It will help me out a lot and help other people find the podcast. Until next time.